Good morning. How are you guys today? Welcome up to, to the front. It's good to see you guys, and I'm glad you're all able to join us for worship this morning. Today we're going to talk about Abraham. Now, I'm guessing that a lot of you have heard of Abraham, and you might remember that God made four really important promises to Abraham. And before we talk about those promises, you need to remember that when we first meet Abraham, he and his wife are getting up there in years. They were older. Abraham was 75 years old, and his wife, Sarah, was 65 years old. And they still had no children. And they were convinced that they were not going to be able to have children, that that was not going to be a blessing that God was going to give to them. Until one day, God came to Abraham and he made Abraham a promise. He said, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son of your own. And Abraham and Sarah thought that was very good news. And God said that that son was going to have many sons and daughters and that he was going to have all these grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids until he had so many grandkids that he was like a whole nation of people all by himself. God promised that he was going to give him a land of his own to live in. And God made one more promise that's quite beautiful. He told Abraham that one of his descendants, one of his grandsons, would be a blessing to every nation on earth. That was the promise of a savior that Jesus would come from Abraham's family. But today we're going to see that throughout the course of Abraham's life, God tested him. He made him wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait some more to see if he was actually going to keep his promises or not. But over time, Abraham learned a very important lesson. It's a lesson that you and I are going to be reminded of once again today. When our God makes promises, he keeps them. Every single time. It doesn't matter if it seems like it's taking God a long time to keep them. He will always keep them. Today, in the life of Abraham, we're going to see that God always keeps his promises, including the promise of his son, Jesus, our our Savior. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have made so many beautiful promises to us. You promise us that we are your children that we are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and that we get to live eternally with you forever in heaven. Sometimes it seems like you take a long time to keep your promises. We don't always feel like your children. We don't know when we're going to get to spend eternity with you in heaven. Help us today to remember that you never break your promises. You always do what you say. Help us to learn to listen to your voice, to believe your words, and to trust them no matter what. In your name, dear Savior, we pray. Amen. The portion of God's word that we'll focus our attention on for a while this morning comes from Genesis chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. 
he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. <clears throat> your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> there are those times when life is good. High points. As you think back across the course of your life, for some of you there's more life to, to look back across than others. What are those high points? As kids, I think for many of us, it's those endless summer days. Even if they're kind of blurry for you now, you could probably remember them. That time in your life when three months was quite a large percentage of the whole. Remember that? <laughs> when three months as a nine-year-old was still a pretty big portion of your life. And those days just seemed to last forever. And you ran wild and, and free. Those are good times. And then maybe next is the, the first date. And then high school graduation is another big one. Maybe you got your first job and you started working right out of high school and started making money and started a family. Others went to college. And then there's another graduation, an even bigger, more significant one. 
Somewhere in there, many of you got married and started having a family of your own, and then from there you begin watching your children go through those same high points, the endless summer days, the first date, the high school graduation, college, marriage, maybe you get to see it happen all over again with grandkids and those high points, right? That's when life seems the best. The problem, of course, is there's low points. There's those childhood tragedies. When as a kid, you're faced with death and the days drag on and you wish they'd go by faster. There's a divorce in the family you slugged your way through high school. You, you barely graduated. You got a job and then you lost one. You got a job and then you lost one. Your, your relationship that you thought was going to go to marriage ended. And then you weren't around people anymore and then there were no more relationships. And then the struggles just mounted. The marriage was harder than it would seem to have been on your wedding day. People dying all around you, financial trouble. Those low points. Life's not so fun. There's these trials, these tests, these temptations. And you start to wonder how a loving God could allow you to go through so much hardship. You start to question his his promises. You start to wonder if a loving God could actually be not so loving. Today we're looking at Abraham. And when you read it in the book of Genesis, I mean, you're talking about chapters 12 to 25. You could sit down and read it in an hour or less. And whenever you can read the account of a person's entire life in such a short amount of time, it's not hard for you and I to belittle it. No intention, you didn't, you didn't approach the narrative of Abraham's life intending to make a little deal of it, but, but have you ever stopped to just try to put yourself in his shoes for a moment? My family and I are about to embark on a journey that Google says will take us 28 to 30 hours depending on traffic in a car. And as I was tracing the journey that Abraham took from Ur of the Chaldeans in southeastern Iraq up to eastern Turkey to Haran and then down to Shechem and then down to Egypt and then back to Canaan again, it turns out that his journey was farther. And he didn't have cars with air conditioning and cruise control. He and his wife and his family, they walked. And you might think that would have been rough, right? That, That walk would have been really hard. Well, it turns out that a lot of it wouldn't have been as hard as you think because as he walked up that fertile crescent between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, probably often very close to one of them, there were roads with mile markers and armies marching along them to protect travelers. There was stops with big cities and marketplaces and exotic foods in beautiful, lush, green scenery. Might have been kind of a fun trip. A long one, a hard one, but a fun one. As Abraham and his family traveled from 
Ur of the Chaldeans, all the way up that fertile crescent between the Tigris and Euphrates, up to Haran. They spent some time there, but then his dad died. And that's when God comes to him in that, that famous section of Genesis chapter 12. And he says to Abraham, leave, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And he makes all these beautiful promises, including the promise of children and that his descendants would turn into a great nation and that he was going to give them a land of his own and that every nation on earth would be blessed through one of his descendants. We're told Abraham just went. All right, another journey, here we go. And, And down they went to a strange place with strange people. He just went. We think, what great faith that Abraham could take such a monumental journey and just trust that God would do what he said. You, you might know what happened next, though. He, he got down to the southern part of Israel, what we know it today as Israel, and there was a famine. And they didn't have what they needed. So they had to keep going. And they went to Egypt, and they spent some time there. But in Egypt, Abraham felt threatened. His wife, Sarah, was beautiful, and he was concerned that they were going to kill him and take Sarah to be their wife. Pharaoh, other leaders in Egypt. He was convinced of that. So he told Sarah to lie and and say that they weren't actually married, that they were just brother and sister so that he could live. He took matters into his own hands. He didn't trust the Lord to do what the Lord said. Every single promise that God had made required Abraham to be alive. He didn't have kids yet. God said he was going to have kids. If he's dead, God can't keep that promise. But at the end of this section, Abraham's not trusting the Lord. He's not demonstrating trust in God's promises. And on and on this goes. Chapter 13, Abraham's well-being, his livelihood, is threatened once again. Doesn't have any kids yet. He can't die. Otherwise, God will be a liar. Chapter 14, Abraham's life is threatened by war. He can't die. Otherwise, God would be a liar. And Abraham's wrestling with this as his life and his livelihood are threatened time and time again. Can I trust the God who made these promises to me, yes or no? Chapter 15, we get to this section that's a little more famous than some of the others. Abraham's frustrated. He doesn't have any kids yet. And he says, Lord, what are you going to keep your promise through my servant, through my slave, Eliezer? Is he going to be the one through whom you build this great nation? And God says, no, one of your own children, a son from your own body will be your heir. And this beautiful line, Abraham believes the Lord and it's credited to him as righteousness. We think, all right, he's got it. He trusts the Lord But then, they still don't have kids. And his wife says, here, just just sleep with my servant girl, Hagar. Have a baby with her, because I clearly can't have kids. And Abraham does, and they have a kid. This is Abraham in his mid-80s. Then we see Abraham again at the age of 99, still no son from Sarah. And there's been trouble between Sarah and her maidservant and this 
son who is Abraham's son, but not Sarah's, named Ishmael. And God comes to Abraham and he says, you're going to have that son, I promised. You remember what Abraham did? He laughed. He's 99. His wife Sarah is 89. She laughed too. There's no way we're having a child from Sarah. And God says, yes, you are. This time next year, I'll be back. And he did. He's 100. Sarah's 90. Isaac, which means laughter. God made him wait 25 years for that son. God was patient with him as he doubted God's promises time and time again over, again, not like a day or a week or a month, year after year after year for 25 years. Abraham's life was a roller coaster of trust and doubt and trust and doubt and trust and doubt and trust and doubt. And now here we are in Genesis chapter 22. And God gives him a test. And you know this test. You've heard this test. This is the skeptic's favorite thing to point to. How can you believe in a God who asks his servant Abraham to murder his own son? But see, if you don't know what happened in Genesis 21, verse 12, it's real easy to remember. 2 1 1 2. 2112. You got that? 2112. Stick that in your head and remember it. Genesis 21, verse 12. Listen to what God had just said to Abraham. Do not be so distressed about the boy Ishmael and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. There was tension between Sarah and Ishmael, Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac. And Sarah told Abraham, get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. Get them out of here. I don't want them around anymore. They disgust me. And God says to Abraham, The promises I've made to you about this great nation and about this Savior and these people who are going to inherit this land, that promise goes through Isaac. But you know what that meant? We're right back to where we started because now we have promises that require a child. And Isaac didn't have that child yet. Isaac was a boy. He had not yet been married. He had no children of his own. If Isaac is dead, God's a liar. And you could just see the light bulb going on inside of Abraham's head. Oh, another promise that requires a child. Another promise that God's going to keep. And so, yeah, this sounds insane that God would ask him to kill his son, but you can hear it in the voice of Abraham. He had learned. He had learned that his God is not messing around, that his God is testing to see if he has finally learned to trust his promises or not. 
he looks to the, to the servants. He says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. There was no doubt in Abraham's mind. He and Isaac were coming back. He did not yet know how. When that little boy looks up at him and says, Dad, uh, we got the fire in the wood. Where's the offering? Where's the lamb for the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? I don't know. The Lord will provide, though. That much he knew. He didn't know how, but he knew the Lord would provide. In Hebrews chapter 11, God reveals a little window into the mind of Abraham. He knew there were two possibilities here. Either God was going to make him plunge the knife into his son and actually kill him, and then God would raise his son from the dead, or God was going to provide a way out. Either way, Abraham was confident, I'm coming back with my son. And he did. The point today is for you to rethink tests and trials and temptations. The world would want you to think that the the suffering you endure in this life, the trials that God allows you to go through, the tests that he himself gives to you, the temptations that you face on a daily basis, that these are somehow proof that your God does not love you and that you should abandon him and that you should no longer trust him. But in fact, just the opposite is true. Your God has made you promises and they start with the promises that he made to Abraham that through one of Abraham's offspring, one of his grandsons, every nation on earth will be blessed. Are you a part of every nation on earth? Yes. And so through his grandson, Jesus, you are blessed. This descendant of Abraham, descendant of David, This Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God and son of man who came into this world, actively did what you and I fail to do all the time. He endured all the trials, all the tests, every single temptation, but he never did this Abraham roller coaster. He never once did what you and I did where we're we're trusting when it's really good and then when it gets bad, we doubt And then when it's good, we're trusting again. And then when it's bad, we doubt. And then when it's good, we trust. And when it's bad, we doubt. He never did that. You didn't hear the detail because Mark's gospel of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is the, the, the most concise of them all. But in the other gospels that recount this, Jesus fasted for 40 days. He was as physically weak as a human being can be without being dead. And then Satan came and tried to get him to sin. When you are at your weakest, that's when you and I are most likely to fall, to fall into temptation, to fail the tests. Jesus was at his weakest, as weak as a human being can be, and he did not fall into temptation. He never once failed a test. And then as the innocent lamb of God, the sacrifice provided for the sins of the world, he allowed his father to slay him. Willingly, so that you could be blessed, so that I could be blessed, so that Jesus' innocent blood, which he actively earned 
as he perfectly battled every test, trial, and temptation would be poured out as a payment for your failures to do so and for mine. Then he rose from the dead. The promise being that you and I will live forever and will never suffer again. But God has not promised that here. In fact, he's promised you the opposite. He has promised you that you will endure tests and trials and temptations here. He promised that as Jesus bore his cross and suffered, you and I, his followers, will bear crosses and suffer too. That's his promise to you. When you suffer, it does not make God a liar and an unloving God. It makes him a God who tells the truth, who's honest with us even when it will hurt. It means that our God does what he says and even the suffering is good because in it, just like Abraham was tested, you and I are tested. Do you trust? Are you listening? Do you know what God has actually said? At the end of our text, there is a a bit of a translation issue. You heard these words. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That makes it sound like because Abraham did what God told him to do, every nation on earth will be blessed. But what God actually says to Abraham is, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you listened to my voice. It doesn't say because you have obeyed me. It says, because you have listened to my voice. You listened to what I said. You listened to what I said, what was recorded for you in Genesis 21, 12. You listened to what I said and you believed it no matter what. Even when I asked you to kill the one through whom all nations on earth would be blessed, you knew he would not come down from the mountain dead, but alive. You listened to what I said and you trusted me. Abraham did not get there on his own. God got him there. Through patient instruction, year after year after year, for 25 years, as Abraham rode the roller coaster of trust and doubt, God stayed with him and continued to make promises to him and showed him with his actions that God is faithful. He fully persuaded Abraham of that reality, that he would never break his promises. And as you continue to spend time in God's word, God does the same thing with you. You are not to make worship a part of your life to check the box. You are not to make a a daily devotional habit a part of your life to check a box. God would have you meditate on his word often because it's there that he's training you. It's there that he trains me. And whether you're at a high point or a low one, his promises stand. You've been baptized into his family. You are his own dear child. He gave his one and only son whom he loved more than anything else in the world for you, for me, that we might be with him forever and never suffer again. Jesus lives and you will live. Those promises stand no matter what. High points, low. 
God's promises are true. He will always do what he says. Amen.